Hello and welcome. This is your host, Jonathan Wilson. And we're back again for another episode of my podcast, Redefining Family. In today's episode, we'll learn more about Dr. Linda Spann, a couples therapist with a very special focus on lesbian couples. We'll get to her in a minute. In the meantime, I'll plan to close out the story for how I finally decided to cut ties with my 18 blood relatives. I've mentioned a few of the events that led up to my decision. In addition, I had gone through intense therapy through my 30s. And after the 2016 Memorial Day weekend incidences, I, along with my therapist, concluded that if I wanted to be successful in my life, that I'd have to let go. Following my father's words about my mother making me gay and not liking my gay lifestyle in 2018, I started the struggle of identifying the scope of who needed to be included. And then I just sat back and observed for a year to see who had my back. My nephew made a few attempts to reach out to my father to see if there was an opportunity to create harmony. And my father really didn't want to engage. I even sent a letter that talked about what happened over the years and how sad I was. No response. Then the decision was made easy for me. In March of 2019, a month before my father's 90th birthday, I got a phone call from my sister. The conversation started with niceties. She never really asked how I was doing and never really stopped to listen to anything I was saying. She had an agenda. I knew this side of her very well. She said, as I look back on the last 10 years, you've really just been a burden on the family. You shouldn't plan on coming to dad's 90th birthday. I was a little confused. Why didn't my father have the courage to tell me himself that? And then I thought about it and said, okay, that's right. He was comfortable with the peace that he had made in 2018. So I just said to her, I said, let me understand. You don't want me to come to dad's B-Day party? She responded, no, let me be clear. You're not invited. But we can check back in 10 years for the next one. And then she chuckled. At that point, I was a little disgusted. But I had to keep my cool. I realized that the cut had to come down for my father and blow. Even if I loved my nieces and nephews, I can't ask them to choose between their parents and me because I really want nothing to do with their parents. And I'm not going to say that they have that choice. So I just made a decision for them. I then decided to say, you know, what about my little brother? He had physically attacked me a few years earlier. And she said, of course he's going to be there. Well, that was no surprise to me. I just wanted to hear her say it. She had defended his attack against me by saying, well, maybe he's on the spectrum. So she excused him verbally and physically attacking me by saying that he's on the spectrum and that's the autism spectrum. So nothing about it being horrible, not are you okay? Clearly I wasn't welcomed in that part of my family. So I need to move on. So a day later, I made the decision to cut, sending a polite Thank you for the clarity message to my sister. Going forward on this show, my interests are going to be focused more about my journey of survival post letting go, as opposed to the activities that led up to that, because my life has been fantastic. In the meantime, let me introduce my next guest, Dr. Linda Spann. Dr. Linda is a frequent contributor to many news sources on the subject of LGBTQ mental health. As a lesbian herself, who struggled with coming out and establishing fulfilling and healthy relationships with women, Dr. Linda 
also knows firsthand the struggles two women may face in an intimate and romantic relationship. In 2018, when she opened the Lesbian Couples Institute in Denver, Colorado, this dream became a reality. Linda has 20 years of experience as a marriage and couples therapist and counselor, and she decided it was time to not only take her educational experience, but also her own unique life experience to the community in which she belongs. Dr. Linda, thank you for joining. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm excited to be here. And I love that you're focusing on your survival story and how life is so much better for you now. Yeah, yeah it's been, well, it's been a journey. On the episodes up to this, people have learned about some of the trials and tribulations that I've faced. But I really want to make this more about a journey of survival. And I know that, you know, I'm pivoting back to you. <laughs> so I'd love to hear more about your journey on survival and maybe your coming out story. Maybe you can tell a little bit more around that and maybe any acceptance challenges that you may have. So I will turn it over to you at this point. All right. I'm happy to share and I'm hoping that I can be vulnerable and open about my story. I'll just start with, you mentioned coming out. So I thinking the other day, it's sort of, you've heard the term serial monogamous. That's people who go from one relationship to another. So I'm sort of a serial coming outer. That's true. No, it's so true. Like I have to say, like, we never stop coming out. And I think we've I've talked about it in past episodes, you never stop coming out. But I want to hear your... Yes. Keep going. Keep going. Beginning my sophomore year of college, I was 19 years old. Uh, I got involved with my first love, Anna. And um, I will have to give you the backdrop, which is I was at a Southern Baptist University, Baylor. At that time, LGBT students were not smiled upon. In fact, they were kicked out of dorms and that sort of thing. So there was a lot of fear for us. But when you end up locking lips with someone of the same sex and enjoying that, there's a measure of coming out with that. So, you know, obviously, first I came out to myself, to my girlfriend at the time. I want to pause on that for a minute because even I <laughs> wasn't around in a time when people were kicked out of dorms for being same sex. How fearful was that for you? Like, what was that? I mean, did you not tell anybody was there some private, secret, dark room where people would meet up? I'm going to just learn that a little bit. It was absolutely fearful. It was terrifying. So I found a therapist, a counselor who was bound by law and ethics to keep my secrets. And we actually confided in a pastor of a church who, who also has some similar confidentiality ethics, I would say. But I did not come out to other family or even friends on campus at that time. Yeah, so really closeted. The therapist was great and progressive, and, and even though she was heterosexual, you know, supportive, also pretty progressive in that ilk of Christianity, but still sent the message of, you know, this is not what God wants and uh, some language around sin and that sort of thing. You're like, yeah, yeah, I'm being sinful. <laughs> Just don't tell anybody. <laughs> go to hell. Uh, <laughs> yes, I'm going to hell. See you there. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. All right, keep going on your story, though. I just kept the lid on it for the remainder of my college tenure and then went to graduate school and, again, sought out some counsel in just the local counseling department at the university. But at that point, became more comfortable with letting other people know. It was a state university. It was not a Christian university. So I started taking the risk of, of making 
other friends in, in the community. And I went to my first lesbian bar, for example. And during the early part of the AIDS epidemic, I became part of a sort of a task force or a helping force. And as, as you know, a lot of lesbians actually helped in that early movement. I want to thank you for that. Yeah, I, I met who I consider, you know, really family, a lesbian couple, Jane and Karen. They'd been together for, I don't know, they were in their 40s. They'd been together for 15 years or something, maybe not that long, but for a number of years. And they really became my mentors and family. Uh, and so slowly I came out to more and more people. Okay. And then, so when did you come out to your own blood relatives? Let me just share that I was born in South America. And my parents were there because they were missionaries. They were there to... Mormon missionaries? No, they were Southern Baptist. Oh, interesting. And so it was difficult for me to come out to my family because of that that level of, of religiosity. I have three siblings and my oldest sister, I think it was in when I was in graduate school, she approached me and she said, you know, what, what's up? Are, basically, are you gay? And that made it easier for me to come out to her. So so for she was the first person in my family to know. Over the years, I came out to my other two siblings, but not for a while. What, one of my brothers-in-law was really pretty conservative. And I was afraid that if I came out to them, that they wouldn't let me hang out with their with my two nephews. I let that fear really kind of robbed me of the opportunity because then when they were teenagers and I came out to my other sister, she was very sweet and it wasn't a problem. So I will tell you that, I don't know if there's shame in this, but I, it took me a really long time to come out to my parents. My mother actually died before I came out to her. She had been living with Alzheimer's for 10 years and it was difficult for me to justify coming out to somebody in that condition. And about five years ago, I finally came out to my father. He was in his mid to late 80s at the time, sound-minded. And I figured out a way to talk about it that, that he could wrap his head around. And he was loving and supportive. And now he has dementia, so he forgets. But I, I did, I was able to do that. And that was super freeing. That, that was Part of the reason that I was able then to move on in my business and establish the Lesbian Couples Institute because I was completely out by then. So now I get that because there's that piece of you, that final piece of you that was able to let go. (laughs) And once you had that, you're like, okay, now I can do what I need to do, (laughs) which is build the Lesbian Institute. That's, that's, That's amazing. So what do you define then as family versus, well, I don't want to say versus blood relatives because we know what blood relatives are. What do you define as family? Well, so so for me, there's two. There's the family of origin or, or a kin, blood kin, which is sort of the traditional way of defining family, you know, parents and children and aunts and uncles and that sort of thing. I call those blood relatives, unless I've brought you into the area of family where you're there for me. Yeah, yeah. You're a blood relative until then. That's the blood <laughs> relatives. And so we have choice about family. We have choice about how we relate to blood relatives. And we have choice about... Family of choice, if you will. And so to me, family is not so much about whether we share DNA. It's about Mm -hmm. whether we share values and the intention to, I mean, it's about love and support, right? Love and support, sharing values. Yes. Yeah. Bringing my inner circle and that I 
trust that I know is going to support me and love me and use the term have my back, right? I love that term. It's the people that I trust to have my back and we have mutual respect and love. That's family to me. Thank you. I think your definition, I was like, check, check. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So on this show though, we've had quite a few young ladies who've been kind of struggling with their coming out process. One lady had, it took her 15 years to like go from the point where her parents were no, no, no to, okay, we accept you. You also had a long coming out journey. If you want to think of it from end to end, what are the things that you would like to help give people the backbone or the encouragement for them to come out to their families? Like, what would you say to them for that? So one thing I say is that there's not one prescribed way to do it. We're all different. You know, if I had a rewind button, I wish someone would have just said, look, speak your truth, take the risk, let let your family know, let the world know, it'll be all right, because your family of choice is here to hold you and pick you up and pad you up if it goes badly. But to be able to live from that place of really authenticity, and it boils down to self-acceptance too, I think. So to live from that place of being really authentic and, and loving ourselves enough to take that risk. So it doesn't have to be rushed and find the support to be able to eventually tell your truth, speak up, let your family, your world, your people know who you are. And then if it goes badly, then you do have, you can make the healthy choice of of distancing, cutting ties, as you've shared, John. Those choices are are viable. They're real choices. I hope I answered your question. You, yeah, you absolutely did. And in the other part, too, uh, many of these young ladies were in relationships for a long time before they told their parents or family members what they considered to be family members. How, as a partner, should the partner best accept that. What if the partner's out and about, right? I I watched a Christmas story over the holidays that I just loved. (laughs) And I can't remember who started it, but it was the gentleman from Schitt's Creek. It was just a great love story uh, about a woman who wasn't out and her dating another woman who had to be considered her roommate. (laughs) And it was just a very interesting Christmas story. So anyways, I digress, but... I say that to say that there are some women that are in that situation where someone's fully out and they're just, you know, kind of being there with their partner, but they want their partner to come out also. What's the best advice you can give to that woman, the partner? Yeah. So there is often a discrepancy between where two partners are on the coming out process, the journey of coming out, as you're describing. So so that discrepancy can sometimes cause problems in the couple relationship. I think that the partner that's out, what she can offer her frightened partner, the understanding and the way to get to that is by really leaning into curiosity and inquiry and inquisitiveness and, and be willing to have conversations to understand, okay, what, what's up around this? What are you afraid of? And really to begin dialogue about that, because that dialogue will actually help the partner that's not out with her own self-discovery. It's through conversation and processing out loud that we get to know ourselves. I love the what you're afraid of 
question because that just so, yeah, cuts the chase. <laughs> Could just be present in conversation about, let's talk about this. I want to understand you, my dear. I want to really understand you. And knowing that in that process, not only does she understand her partner better, but her partner gets to understand her own self better. And so I think that those conversations can be very helpful. And then I believe that moving into empathy and acceptance with a little, how would I say it? Empathy and acceptance with a little nudging, right? I'm here for you. I understand that today you can't do this, but I'm here for you. I'm here to back you up. I'm here to protect you. I'm I'm here to be your encourager, to be your sounding board. So with that support, it can be made easier. So you said the partner gets to accept themselves more. I thought that was interesting too. So it's not just about understanding the person who hasn't come out. It's more around also the partner understanding themselves. Tell me like what that looks like for them to learn more about. What did you mean by that is what I mean. Well, yeah. And I believe, Jonathan, that in the process of really good communication between two intimate partners, the listening partner can really be curious, ask great questions. Again, she'll get to know her partner, but partner that's opening up and becoming vulnerable actually will get to some aha moments with themselves or some self-knowledge that maybe they hadn't discovered yet. And so that's what I mean. In in good conversations, there's always the opportunity for growth and and personal discovery. First of all, why Denver, Colorado? And are you actually going to have other locations besides Denver? So my wife and I were already living in Colorado in a smaller town, too small of a place to have a lesbian couples institute. And my stepdaughter and her husband, they were in the family planning process. So they were wanting to get pregnant and I didn't have biological children. So I was just thrilled at the idea of having a grandkid, right? And I didn't want to be two hour away grandma. I wanted to be, uh, we, we live close enough that I can see this precious child as frequently as I want. So that was a big impetus was to move up near them. What's awesome, we moved here almost precisely three years ago. And the day that we moved into our rental in Denver, my daughter came over and she handed us a bag. And I I thought it was, you know, champagne or a, a bottle of wine. And we pulled out a baby bottle. And so that was her way of announcing that they were pregnant. We didn't know. Oh, I love that. We moved here knowing they were trying, but that, that's just such a delight. Oh, that's a good present. That's a good welcome, welcoming present. It was great. So that was a lot of it too. We wanted to be near our lineage, our family of procreation, I guess it's called. So both of those things, bigger city, more adventures, big airport. So the Lesbian Couples Institute actually does serve women in other places. We have an in-person office for counseling, for doing counseling with LGBT folks and primarily lesbian couples. And we've just launched an online group coaching program for women essentially all over the world that have some command of the English language. So that's a really exciting new step for us to make really awesome relationship help available to women anywhere. I'm also really intrigued by that. I'm like leaning in on that. So globally, what are you finding in terms of lesbian couple dynamics? I know I'm putting you on the spot. This is- no, it's fine. And what I'm going to have to say, have me back in a year and we'll talk about it because I don't have the data yet. Fair. And I may. <laughs> I may have you back in a year. We don't have any international couples in, in the group yet. Do you notice regional differences, though? I, I think a bit. I mean, I, I think that the things that we would expect, that the more 
conservative states, the South, the more conservative state. So a lot of those women aren't completely out. They long for more community because they have to live so secretively uh, still. And it kind of depends on the age. Younger lesbians and queer women are just naturally more out because of of some of the social positive changes. But yeah, I think there are some. Okay, truth or fiction. On the third date, women tend to go for the (laughs) U-Haul. That joke was around when I was a baby lesbian. And it's still around. So that tells us something. And back when I was a baby lesbian, it was on the second date, not the third. So so if we're getting three dates out of it before the move-in, that's pretty good. You know, I... I think there is a tendency for lesbians to to merge very quickly and to fall. I mean, the falling in love process, it's euphoric for everybody. But I don't know. In this community, women tend to uh, to move in very quickly. So I'm going to lean in on this because I, I just don't know the answers. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm asking crazy questions because I really want to know. So what makes the U-Haul story so true? What is it about that connection? It's just a stronger and unlike any other, like, because a lot of couples date for a long time. Hetero couples do that. Gay male couples, you know, it's definitely different dynamics for every couple. But consistently, it's been that when two women love each other, it's like, it's just, they're in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the term is called, is merging. Lesbian couples tend to merge much more quickly than any of the other configurations that you mentioned. I don't know if I know why. I think that, you know, I don't know how much is nature and how much is nurture, but women as a group tend to be more relationship, more the keepers of relationship, of the fire of the relationship in general. And these are generalizations. You get two people that are like into relationship and caregiving and loving and nurturing, you get two of those in in the same room and it moves very quickly into this merging. I think that a lot of women now are being thoughtful about, okay, even though this is the reflex, I would say, to be, take a minute and pause and think and go, yeah, but we have other choices. And, And women are beginning to understand that take a minute, you know, let, let's, let's right. date, not move in together. And that doesn't threaten the relationship. So I think there's more of that happening now. I like the term that you mentioned with the keep the fire in the relationship. Like that's an interesting term because I've never really thought about relationships that way because the question is, you know, maybe this is for everybody on the, in the audience to ask like, who's keeping the fire in my relationship, right? Because <laughs> I know that's immediately what I think. Like, am I the person that does that? <laughs> Hopefully you both are. Uh, we, we don't have to. Ideally. Yeah, yeah. But we both know. <laughs> that's interesting. So then tell me a little bit more around your own story. I would love to hear what made you go into therapy and was it because of your own experiences? And then how did you start diving into more focus on lesbian couples? I mean, I can imagine what the answer might be to that one, but <laughs> I'd still love to hear like how that happened. Yeah, I appreciate your question, Jonathan. So I remember I was one of those odd kids that I figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up when I was 15 and I stuck to it. So I didn't go through that, go to college and have seven majors before you land on one, right? I had a teacher in high school that actually was a psychologist and talked a lot about psychology and and it just really piqued my interest. And I was just drawn to figuring out what makes humans tick and then also drawn to helping people in pain. So 
Yeah, from 15 onward. And then I just, I became a little bit addicted to education, I think. So I got my first degree and then my master's and then my doctorate and just love being a student. And to this day, I continue getting education about, you know, from from the real experts in, in the fields. I know you had a second question there. What was it? <laughs> Remind me. The second question was, how did you get more into the lesbian couples therapy? I do think that it had to do with my process of coming out. That when I got to the point that I was out, 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 and then there weren't those tethers or constraints or the fears, what if somebody finds out? And it just gave me this tremendous freedom to really be able to go inward and decide, well, you know, I'm in my 50s. What do I really want to do and how do I want to contribute to the world? And the answer is my people, my community, you know, my larger family of lesbian and queer women. And so it, I've never liked the term calling per se, but that's what it feels like. There was just this real kind of deep sense of, yeah, th- this is what I'm meant to do and, and what brings me joy. Yeah, it, that phrase of what do you want to be known for, it used to be applied to just your career. When do you want to be called? But now it's more of like, no, holistically, what do you want to be known for? <laughs> you know? What's my legacy? Right, right. So I have to say, you have definitely been a fantastic guest. Is there any words of wisdom that you want to give to the young ladies out there in couples? And maybe is there a time period that they need to really kind of work through? And then how do they best need to engage their partner during those times of tribulations, I guess, if you will? Yeah, so I think it is a journey. And the first thing I would say is, wherever you are is exactly right. And no matter what your family or the our broader society, whatever the message is of hatred, don't take that in. You're lovable and perfect just the way you are. And you got to give yourself that message of acceptance. And that makes it easier than to to, to speak up and to share your story and and the truth about your sexuality and your identity and, and who you are. So really work on that self-acceptance piece, self-love, for, first of all, and then begin taking the risks. You can either come all, out all at once. I've seen some Facebook coming out that I thought were interesting, or you can do it a little bit at a time and, and see how that goes. And you can lean into your partner and to the, the wider LGBT community for support. But I do believe that there's a lot of personal freedom in, in taking that risk. Uh, if it's too damn scary, you can get a counselor to, to talk to and, and that can help you. Give us a call. We're here to support. But sometimes talking to a therapist or a relationship coach can be really helpful in that process. How do they get a hold of you if they want to reach out to you? Uh, our website is Lesbian Couples Institute. Dot com And if you go on that website, there's a, a contact form you can fill out. Then the phone number's all over the place, too. So uh, contact form, email, or, or a direct phone call are the best ways. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. We've enjoyed you. When the listeners listen, I'm sure they'll enjoy you as well. <laughs> thank you very much. You're welcome, Jonathan. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. I think that highlighting people's stories and is such a great thing and, and a great support for our community. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Bye. Oh, <laughs>